David, thank you for the introduction. I do think it's unfortunate, though, that we get a round of applause when it's mentioned that that Mark and I are two senators who get along, who work together to try to accomplish things for the good of the order rather than for the good of the party. Um, I think it's unfortunate that that is being recognized now as, as perhaps the exception. We're sitting here uh, a week before Christmas trying to figure out what the exit strategy is. There's a lot of you who've been around for a long time, whether it's 25 years or even more than that, uh, and, and I think it's fair to say that we are at that point where the politics is, is, has completely consumed where we are. It's not the policy of the initiatives that we're dealing with right now. Um, and and it has, it's put us in a position where not much good, I think, is coming from it. How many messaging votes have we had in, in the past month? Uh, only to be able to say, by gosh, as Republicans, we're not going to increase your taxes, or by gosh, as Democrats, we're going to protect the, the middle class. Um, I'm not convinced that the people in this country really want more messaging. I think what they want is some governing. When I was asked to, uh, to, to join Mark this morning, uh, this was one of those, those appearances where you think, well, now, exactly what is it that we want to talk about. And we're going to talk about how on the Energy Committee we ought to be working together to advance a good policy that is viewed as, as a bipartisan effort. Or is it, is it a discussion about kind of where we are within this uh, political process? And uh, I decided to just kind of let this be a little bit of a free-for-all because I note on the, on the invitation so much of this is supposed to be Q&A, so this is, this is where I think we have an opportunity to, to really try to uh, address uh, some things in a more free format. But as I was coming over here this morning, Tom Coburn was on uh, C-SPAN uh, TV, and uh, Tom was speaking about the fact that he has self-imposed term limits. And he said, you know, sometimes... Sometimes, uh, around here, we focus on what is best for our political interests rather than the, the interests of the country. And I think we are at that point, as we are approaching a, a presidential election every day, it gets a little bit closer. Uh, you have so many decisions that are being made simply based on the, the politics of the moment and what uh, what is coming forward within these these uh, these campaigns, I think that's unfortunate. I think it is uh, it is a situation again where we are forgetting who it is that we represent. Um, we are we are focusing on our parties rather than the people of Alaska or the people of of, of Colorado, and I think. To a certain extent, my write-in campaign last year allowed for a, uh, um, a little bit of a release, if you will. Uh, when you're not your party's nominee, you're kind of a, a hybrid, no-man's-land-in-the-middle. Um, the expectations from your base are perhaps a little bit different. I look now at my base and say it's everything from that hardcore libertarian miner who lives out in the middle of nowhere to the, the 
lifelong uh, Democrat teacher um, and everybody in between. And I think that that's a good thing for us to recognize that that's our base. It's those, those people in Alaska that come from all quarters. We're so fixated on, on meeting our party's needs as opposed to the people that we represent. But I think we've, we've lost some of our focus. And then we get focused on gaining power rather than what we do once we have achieved that title or that uh, position and we fail to govern. I'm going to stop talking because I want you to talk. I came to listen to you. Lisa and I told each other this morning we came because we were curious as to what the other person was going to say. Um, we, we could, I think, identify many of the reasons we're in the straits uh, that we're in. I hope we'll have a conversation about some of the reforms we might implement. I think Lisa has some ideas. I have some ideas as well. Uh, I'm a little bit biased. I think if more states were like Alaska or Colorado, uh, we would have, uh, I think, a greater opportunity here to work together and, and govern. Maybe it's because we're mountain states. I don't know. We don't have a coast. We don't have the great waters that team with fish that Alaska has. But uh, when, you, when you stand on top of a mountain in Colorado, or Mount McKinley, which I've been fortunate enough to climb, and you look out over the state of Colorado, it, my first instinct is to say, well, there's where the, that's the red city there, and there's the blue town there. So there are people down in those towns and cities trying to make the best of their lives, provide for their children, pursue the American dream. And I really try to have that inform what I do as a senator, as I did in the, in the House. Um, it's hard, as Lisa pointed out, because there's so many countervailing pressures here. Uh, and it's so tactical. I was uh, reminded my dad used to say that the uh, football coaches and politicians are a lot alike. Uh, you have You're to not be. Not going to be another. Sorry, sorry. The uh, the uh, to be to be either in either one of those disciplines, you have to be smart enough to understand the game and dumb enough to think it's important. Uh, now I, t I try I tried that out. <laughs> but the point the point I'm trying to make is we get so tactically oriented here play to play, does it really result in, in you winning the game, much less having a successful season here in, in Washington? Um, but there are, there, I should say, there are some things I think we could do. We ought to have talking filibusters. Uh, we ought to, Nancy's here, we ought to have more, as many competitive House districts as we could possibly have. I think that would really drive a different uh, way in which the House uh, operates. I think a return to regular order would make a lot of sense. If you think about the power being concentrated in the leadership teams, as opposed to the chairman, chairwomen, and, and the committees themselves. I think that's actually led to more of a focus on power instead of product. I was meeting with a group of businessmen in Colorado recently, and they got on me about why can't we make deals like the business community does. And I, I try to explain that in some ways power is more seductive than profits, believe it or not. But in the end, how are you using that power? What's, what's the reason that you want to hold it? I, I don't think I'm saying to any, any of you here uh, and sharing any philosophies that you all don't hold as well. I mean, given that this the Ripon Society is based on Lincoln and, and Ted Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's approach. But I'd like to hear some of your ideas about how we could uh, make this town work in, in ways that we all want it to work. Because there's, there's so much at stake. Let me end on this stuff. There's that old saying, academic politics are so vicious because so little is at stake. Uh, I think our politics have gotten so vicious because we've forgotten how much is at stake.
get the first question? Uh, well, thank you all both very much. I, mean, I really appreciate your remarks, and I think you're, you're dead on, I guess. I was reading the other day that um, Chris Saliza, the columnist in the Post, who has the, uh, the Fix column, he's worked his, uh, and always has his Worst Week in Washington column, about who had the Worst Week in Washington. He's, he's currently uh, working on a Worst Year in Washington column, and he's invited people to vote on who has had the Worst Year in Washington. And the current leader is common sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think the, the reforms that you're talking about are, are very important. Um, I guess uh, if there's a question in there somewhere, I guess it's it's how do you kind of how do how do we break through uh, with the president with Congress to get that relationship uh, healed? Uh, you know, it seems as though after 2000. We've had this series of challenges to the very legitimacy of the president, whether it was Bush or Obama, whether it was uh, you know, stealing an election or not being born in the U.S. or whatever it might be. But it just it's so much more of a fundamental challenge to the very legitimacy of the person holding the office rather than challenging pop, uh, political uh, positions. How do we kind of break through can I make two quick comments? I thought David Brooks wrote a very insightful column this summer where he talked about the fact that both parties are under the illusion that they're going to wipe the other party out in the next election. We've had these series of wave elections. It's not going to happen. So we ought to get real. Number two, and I want to pay tribute to Lisa, I think one of the opportunities is your campaign rhetoric really matters. And I think there's a potential to create, maybe this is the idealist or the Pollyanna in me, but there's, there's a potential to create a more virtuous cycle. If you campaign predominantly, you've got to defend yourself in campaigns. But if you campaign predominantly using the rhetoric of we're going to work together, uh, the, the rhetoric that brings people together, and then when you win, you're then empowered, I think, as Senator Murkowski is, to go your own way, to be independent-minded, and to find, and again, the point isn't bipartisanship. I thought Chris Dodd and, and Lamar Alexander both said this at various points. The point isn't being bipartisan, it's getting results. You, we need, partisanship by itself is, is, is what the founders envisioned. We, we have strong philosophical differences at times. But in the end, it's finding, finding a way in which to, uh, to come up with some results. And we have example after example after example. Look at what O'Neill and Reagan did uh, with Social Security in the 80s. That's, that's in part why I think Lisa and I are both big proponents of a Bull Simpson-like uh, arrangement to deal with our debt while at the same time making investments in, in the short-term needs of the country. I, I, and I, I, I think it is important also to recognize that there's got to be a level of, of reach out. There's got to be a level of communication. Right now, there is pretty limited interaction or communication between the administration, the White House, and where we're sitting uh, over here in the Capitol. Everybody's kind of got their own domain, their own turf. They're all trying to make their own deal. Well, you do that, and you get three different deals, and we're not going to get anywhere. It's when we figure it out that saying, this is something that we've got to make happen. But it's, it's <coughs> tough if you haven't had kind of that, that hand extended for a long period of time, and then now, when I need you, I'm going to pick up the telephone. This is why I think it's so important, whether it's within the Senate or across the, the, the chamber there to the House, that we do 
more relationship building, that we know and understand not only what your party politics are, but the fact that you love to climb mountains, I love to be outside, we've got more in common than just talking about renewable energy. And it's a lot, it's a lot tougher to poke a finger in an eye, in the eye of somebody that, that you know, uh, you know that they're a good parent, you know that they love their dog. Um, it, it, all, it all sounds pretty trite, but the fact of the matter is, is we, we, we put up a lot of walls around here. And the more walls you put up, the more insulated you are, and the more the easier it is to spew the rhetoric. Because it's like, well, I don't know you anyway. I don't care what I say. I don't care how you feel about what I say. And that rhetoric then, as Mark says, I think traps us. So everything that we can do, um, we did the little secret Santa thing, um, kind of chuckle about it. But it's, 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 it's a step. Lamar and Mark Warner are doing occasional dinners now over at the Alibi Club where they invite just kind of a mixed group uh, of members. Um, kind of the, the, the State of the Union date night mix it up a little bit. Uh, there, there are other things going on. The, the women members uh, of the Senate gather about every month, every six weeks or so and have dinner. We had our dinner last night and uh, we, we were talking as as the women of the Senate <clears throat> decided that, by God, if we were running the show around here, we would be out by Friday. There would be no <laughs> We would have the entire Capitol decorated. And <laughs> but uh, we haven't been given that we're going to Gloria Steinem. She said, we put one man on the moon, let's put them all there. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn. It just seems so like we do have a challenge because um, in some of us working in the Senate or wherever we work, Monica was much different. But now the media, it, I mean, you turn on one channel, you know what they're going to say. You turn on another. So the media is feeding this frenzy. Oh, yes. The media loves that. And then yes. also you have the, the social network, the internet, and all of that, and the interest groups using those medias. So you've got more challenges. And I don't know how you address those. Um, but you, you just definitely are in a different environment than it used to be, which was really wonderful. I'm waiting for some additional ideas on that front. I think Lisa did put her finger on it when she pointed out, in effect, you can go on TV in this town, you can blast one of your colleagues, and then never have to look at that person eye to eye. This is a small, at its best, this is a small town where actions have consequences and relationships matter. In the end, I do think this is about relationships and people as it is in an institution. You can look at the rules. You can try and understand why in the situation you're in. But literally, if you've got if you've gone on TV and said something hateful uh, or has, that has an ad hominem element about somebody, and then you have to see them on the main street, which is in the tunnels of the Capitol or on the floor of the Senate, um, I think that's going to give you pause. The point Lisa was making is we don't, we don't have that kind of interaction because of the pressures of fundraising. The jet airplane's a curse and a blessing. <laughs> Uh, as is air conditioning. Uh, air conditioning. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and as you know, the diplomatic corps used to receive hazard pay for being stationed in Washington, D.C. 
and then there was a pressure for us to do our work and then go home. That's I think could I in a tangential way say I think this this will counter what I just said as well. I think both Lisa and I feel when we go home, we get a sense of reality. We get a, a dose of realism. And actually, when I'm home right now, that's where I'm taking my inspiration because in the small towns, the large cities, uh, less only has one, but uh, the, in Colorado, uh, people are getting on with getting on. They're making local government work. Thank God for federalism, frankly, although we do need a national set of policies for energy and education and immigration. But that's where I really take my inspiration. So, and that's why I'm an optimist, David, uh, and, I, and I always will be. But how we break that cycle here, I think it's more people like Senator Mikowski who just say, here's why I'm running, here's what I want to do for Alaska and the United States. And, and, and I think Lisa's been enormously empowered because of the way she won her election. Uh, I don't know if it's a one-off. We should hear more from, from her. But uh, the media, I, I, I've had senators, I was in a hearing recently, and I won't give any names, but uh, a couple sen one senator stayed for two minutes, came over and said, if I spend enough time here, I've got to go do some TV. So I think that the, the tendency has been to think, well, to be a senator means that you're on TV. And actually being a legislator is much more nuanced, much more textured, and takes much more time and patience. But the media really has changed, not only how the message is, is being perceived, uh, distributed, understood, spun, um, but I think to Mark's point, it also changes us. It's like, well, <clears throat> I really want to focus on this particular initiative, but you know what? There's no fundraising dollars that I'm going to generate with this particular issue. Um, there's not much media attention that I'm going to get to it, so maybe I should be doing this issue over here that is a little more high profile or might get me in front of some different people. That ought not be what drives our daily actions. And, and I think that that does have an, an influence. I'll, I'll be very direct with you. When I first came to the Senate and I was looking at those committees that I wanted to serve on, I was told by very well-meaning staff that had been around for a long time for heaven's sakes, don't get yourself on foreign relations, because if you do, that there, there's no way that you're going to get any fundraising dollars for it. And I'm kind of looking at it, and I was like, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? But yet, that is something that goes into to, to the analysis of folks around here. We all ought to be on foreign relations, for heaven's sakes. And I'm, <laughs> Rick has yeah. a question over there. Uh, you asked what you could do. First of all, your own rules preclude lot of that interaction. Riffon used to take 20, 30 zillion members abroad and not only, you know, it accomplished all of your tasks. You got to meet new people. You actually got to accomplish things. The House rules pretty much preclude any one of us ever traveling with you unless it's a fundraising trip. Um, so, quite honestly, I think you all need to have the intestinal fortitude to change some of those internal rules so that you can travel with other members. I just got back from a medical mission in uh, West Africa. They're all dying for American politicians to visit as one of the, to help develop one of the vast mineral resources and promote U.S. economy. But thinking about getting you know, a couple of United States senators to actually get on a trip now, 
to go and see some place where there's economic development, but you can't have a lobbyist, you know, even though they probably know the issue best. So quite honestly, you all have to change the rules so groups like Ripon and other groups that are interested in policy. Lisa and I would do it. So I'm sorry. Lisa and I were talking the other day about maybe we get a counter pledge campaign. So we, I know the P word's a dangerous word, uh, but we pledge that we're not going to filibuster motions to proceed. We pledge that we won't demonize other members when they travel to far-flung places because America's very uh, standing in the world depends on the outreach that we do. Uh, we, we were just kicking that around in a, in a loose way. Um, we, we pledge that we won't attack our opponents uh, because of a hopeful uh, Bull Simpson plan that we'll put forth, just like Reagan and O'Neill agreed that anybody who went after a member of the other party because of the Social Security reforms that occurred in the early 80s would be called out by, by leaders in that, in that particular party. But we party. defend the other member. You def yeah, you defend. Not, yeah. not forget about vilifying them. Will you actually go out and no, you defend have, you have, the other member? It's an affirmative pledge, an affirmative commitment. You know, I, I think it was in, I think there's a little blurb in, in the post this morning, but every, every trip that uh, a, a member takes a Codell is somehow or other now made public, and of course they're mocked in the press saying, you know, there's another exotic trip going to, to Brussels, or, you know, the air show or whatever. The, the, the media has, I think, done an exceptional job of cowing those of us that um, look at these, look at these, uh, these trips and say, yeah, I, I want to go over to Japan and see what is going on post-Fukushima in, in the nuclear world. Are we doing that, by the way? Well, we're, we're, we're going to try February? to do it. And the, the, but the other place that I want to go... The Energy Committee has jurisdiction over the, uh, uh, the, 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 the territories in, in the Pacific, whether it's CNMI or the Marshall Islands. We've got some treaty obligations that we're dealing with right now that, quite honestly, are a little problematic. I have been asked to go over there repeatedly. They've got some, some uh, labor issues that, uh, that are on the forefront. And, you know, there's a lot of concern about, well, you're going to, you're thinking about going to a South Pacific island in the wintertime. Do you really want to do that? So do you try to spend your time explaining it, or do you just not go, and therefore not really know and understand what the issue is? We've got, we've got all kinds of questions popping up. You, you pick the next one. I was just thinking, don't be cowed, be a Murkowski. Yeah! All right. You're good. Okay, no, you're better. <laughs> have you had these conversations with your respective leadership? Because when you, if you look if you look at well, all that you said, I think everyone in the room will agree 150% with everything you folks have said. What would, what, would be, what would be the response from your various leadership on these questions? first? I think my leadership would say, we'll have a conversation after the election. I think that's what... Yeah, and then there's, always another there's always another election. That's right, we're always in the midst of an election. We, we've been talking about mountain metaphors. We, there, there are two poles, the north and the south pole. The third, the third pole is Mount Everest in, in some corners. 
I thought perhaps we need to figure out a way to create a third pole that's between the two leadership teams in the Senate. Now, I don't know if that's radical, revolutionary, uh, insubordinate, uh, but, uh, and Lisa certainly has participated, I think, in some of the, a couple of the gang efforts that have been successful. And, and most of the gangs, if you look at the ones that have been successful, have been on a, pointed to a particular topic, a particular problem. But is, is that a route forward where we create a, a uh, critical mass uh, and work with and around and through the two leadership structures in the Senate? Uh, maybe I better leave now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think, but no, there is. Well, no, yeah. I, I think that there is a lot of desire for, for a change between these two very solid poles. You know, mm -hmm. you, you get on the right side, you get on the left side, and, you know, never the twain shall meet. Um, you've got organizations, groups that are forming, no labels. Um, there, there is a, a growing cry, if you will, for something in the middle. But I have been reminded that when you're in the middle of the road, that's exactly where you get run over. And uh, think about some of our colleagues right now that have been more centrist. They are, at least on the Republican side, they're the ones that are, are facing the toughest primary challenge right now. Uh, so there is no reward for a, a, a political figure to be that centrist when you have to deal with the primary systems that we have in, in this country. Open primaries would be one... Uh, important step forward and also competitive house districts the more the better uh, because after a while the rhetoric doesn't matter results results matter I think the, the parties would respond but easy to say hard to do well, one thing is I mean if we're going to make the system work the house has passed what 27 bills trying to make the economy better the senate doesn't even take up any of the bills you know most people in the country don't don't even know what the House has done. You know, if the Senate, as you say, Senator, go back to regular order, take the bills up. Obviously, they're not going to be the same as the House bill. Go to conference, try to resolve those issues. But just sitting on the House bills and pretending they don't happen, that isn't the way to work together. I think it's a good point, and, and regardless of... of who's in charge, Republicans or, or, or Democrats, you know, you recognize that, okay, you're in the majority, you get to set the agenda, and that's, that's the prerogative of, of leadership. But I think what we are seeing is a, an erosion, if you will, or perhaps a breakdown in the process. It used to be a time when committee work was exactly that. You worked in committee. You actually took up <clears throat> amendments that you didn't know whether you were going to win or lose that amendment in committee, yeah, you, you worked with your colleagues, you tried to build some consensus, you know, you lost some, you won some, and, and you built a product in committee. I think the Energy Committee is one of the few committees that I serve on where we're still doing that, but even we as a committee have, have had uh, our, our share of breakdowns, and, and we're, we're kind of at that stage now. We really haven't been able to move some of the more controversial uh, issues. On the Appropriations Committee, we are asked not to bring up any amendments in the market process that are controversial. We are afraid to do our job, which is to vote on controversial things. And 
You know, there's some tough stuff, but nobody ever said it was going to be easy. So I think what we've done, again, in an effort to get through elections in order to protect our members, in order to keep the majority, we're trying to, to, to save ourselves from those tough votes. We need to, again, kind of get back to the reason that we're there, which is to govern, and, and say, well, you know, this, this may be tough for us as, as the majority, but this is something that we've got to do. And we, I think we've lost that. I've only been here eight years now, but I can tell you that in that eight-year time period, there has been a real shift in terms of the number of issues that are brought either to committee or to floor, where you just kind of spend four weeks on the floor with an energy bill that has all kinds of controversial issues in it, but you work it through and you have an end product to deal with afterwards. I think we have gotten away from that regular order. Juanita's one of my old uh, college roommates, just for full disclosure right? here. I don't know what she's going to ask. <laughs> How much time do you need? <laughs> Senator Murkowski has been extremely um, gracious and never telling any stories out of school about this. I'm always forever in your debt. Um, it goes both ways. <laughs> there were no stories about Senator Murkowski. She was a cherry blossom princess, and she looked the part, and she was beautiful, and we were all trying to emulate her behavior. And now she's a senator, and I'm a hamster on a wheel. <laughs> but um, I, I agree with everything both of you have said, but um, if you take those cultural and partisan issues and step them aside, do you think that we would still be in the same situation we are now because the fact of the matter is now we're bankrupt and the money is gone? And if I look back on the last 20 years or so and I look at some of the famous votes, those were all fueled by the currency of money. The NAFTA vote, the, I mean, all the, all the things. And now all of a sudden, the money is gone, and so the currency of deal-making is gone. And I wonder if this situation is qualitatively different than it has been before, because there's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide. You, even if you wanted to, they're just two fundamentally different viewpoints about what to do about being bankrupt. And, you know, all the other stuff makes it much worse, but I wonder if, if this is not qualitatively different than just partisanship. To be fair, uh, there is a cultural shift underway in this this town in, in, in the sense of where our focus has to be. We've never, Juanita, had a environment, well, we, we, we have at other times, but I think in our lifetimes, where we're talking about cutting spending, about how do we reduce the size of programs. And as you point out, the lubricant often was the, the, the another third pole or the third party, the appropriators. And that's in part why I think going back to regular order would be really helpful, because that's where relationships uh, that are famous were, were generated. One of the most notable, of course, is Senator Inouye and Senator mm -hmm. Stevens, who is one of Lisa's mentors and uh, who we lost. And uh, I've, I've done my own share of flying in Alaska, and I know how how dangerous it is, but that's how, that's how you get around. But that, that's, I think that's in part what, what's happening uh, in, in this town that's it's in some ways a dynamic that's not outside, it's outside of our control in, in some ways. And uh, so, the, so we've been asked to shoulder some, some really tough uh, challenges, as Lisa points out. But this, this change in culture of sort of appropriating to the, to the end of the, 
world, uh, we, we're now trying to figure out what are our priorities and, and where can we cut back. And then you, you overlay the economy. There's nothing that a couple hundred thousand new jobs a month wouldn't solve right now, frankly. And that's why I think it's, again, then you can come back to what should we be doing with policy making so that we do everything possible uh, to help the private sector uh, create jobs. I think you've raised it a, a very, very valid point, though, that the dynamic really has changed in terms of where we are as a nation and our uh, fiscal stability. When you think about the, 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 the failure of the select committee, um, a lot has been written about the fact that, you know, the politics intervened or maybe this, these people who were appointed weren't really serious about breaking, brokering a deal. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of what we saw was just basic philosophical belief about how you deal with the problem um, with a recognition that philosophically um, more of the, of the Democrats recognize that in order to deal with this, you have to have increased revenues. And on the other hand, you had the Republicans who were just absolutely locked in to a, a, an approach that says reduction in spending, reduction in the size of government. Um, neither is right, neither is wrong. It is an approach to, to, uh, to, to governance that is as basic as, as the parties. Mm -hmm. And so I think you really saw that clash play out uh, mm -hmm. within the role of the super committee. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should have seen that from the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, but I certainly hoped with everything that I had in me that they would be able to figure out how you, you, you come together. I think we saw it, it is possible with the Simpson-Bowles plan um, and, and some of the other proposals that are out there that you can, you can come together with the ideas. Uh, but I think with that group, it was just philosophical um, viewpoints that were at the different different ends of the spectrum. Well, I, Jim is, is giving I, us the you eye. Know, I promised your schedulers that you guys would be back oh, by yeah, really? uh, uh, 9 o'clock. <laughs> you all, this has been one of the most instructive dialogues that we've had. Over 100 members this year, you guys, this has been one of the high points. Please. Uh, Mike, Ed, thank can we you. Give Lisa the last, can we give Lisa the last word? But can of I get course. a word in before? <laughs> I, I, uh, I think one of the most powerful books uh, written about public servants is John Kennedy's Profiles in Courage. And he outlines individuals who not only lost their political careers, but often lost their status and their economic standing in life because they, they took very difficult stands, including Sam Houston, the famous Texan. But, but in, And I think it ought to be required reading for all of us because we're not on this earth very long. Uh, our, our political fortunes really aren't as important as what we, we add back into uh, this great place we call America. But I, I leave you this note. Bur Burke, the famous uh, English parliamentarian conservative, I think the Ripon Society probably tracks, I, he, he put it quite well. He said, your representative owes you uh, more than his industry. Uh, he owes you his judgment. If he sacrifices his judgment to your opinion, he betrays you. And I think that's really the challenge that we've always had, whether it was 
uh, a President Adams or President Lincoln or President Roosevelt or the couple thousand senators at least and I've been so honored to to join and serve the country. I think I think that's where this this boils down to. It's about relationships. It's about putting the your conscience in your country before your literally your state and your party. And respect for one another. I think we don't focus enough on the respect side. Respect for your opinion. I may come at it from a different perspective, but I respect the fact that this is this is your uh, your opinion. You represent a constituency that perhaps is different than mine, and and sometimes I think we fail in the respect category. And when we fail to respect one another, we fail to respect the institution that we are part of. And when we fail to respect the institution, we should not be surprised when we look at the public opinion polls and we see that Congress's approval rating is about 9%. Ron Wyden says that that's all of our next of kin. And, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably right. Uh, but I think, I, I think we are, uh, we, we've got to, to work to rebuild that respect. Jim, I, I, I thank you for, for letting us be here this morning. Um, well, I have enjoyed the conversation with my friend and, and colleague. I kind of feel like, well, we haven't solved anything. We still don't know when we're getting out of here. Um, but I think the discussion is healthy because I think sometimes around here, we are, we are afraid to speak the obvious. Um, we're, we're afraid to talk about the fact that, you know, we're not focusing on, on perhaps the, the policies that we need to in order to better our country. And so thank you for the opportunity to, to share a little bit of, of our innermost thoughts and feelings with you. Um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all. Thank you. Thank you.